welcome to The Graduates, a radio show dedicated to graduate student research here at Berkeley. My name is Stephanie Gerson. I'm a graduate student myself, and I'll be your hostess for the show here on KALX Berkeley. So today I'm talking to Anand Kulkarni, a PhD student from the Automation Lab in the Department of Industrial Engineering and Operations Research. So welcome, Anand. Thanks. And we're going to be talking about using the wisdom of crowds to make robots more intelligent. So first, can you briefly introduce your work? Sure. So uh, in the last 20 or 30 years, uh, people have tried to make robots much more intelligent and smarter. But they've run up against some real hurdles in terms of artificial intelligence. But a lot of the problems that robots need to solve are things that humans can solve very well. So what we're looking at doing is using the Internet to allow humans to help robots uh, behave more intelligently. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's start with some background. Uh, I know recent trends in artificial intelligence have involved something that's called human computation. So can that's you talk right. a little bit about what that is? Sure. So human computation is, is the idea that humans are able to solve problems uh, very easily that computers find very difficult. Things like identifying what's inside of a picture or understanding the words that somebody is saying. Uh, these are things that humans have evolved to do very naturally, but things that computers still have a lot of problems with. So human computation is the idea that we can use humans to solve some of these problems by asking them to play a game or do some activity that's going to implicitly uh, provide solutions to these problems. Okay. And I know that it's possible to do human computation with lots and lots of humans simultaneously, which you refer to as crowdsourced intelligence. So can you talk a little bit more specifically about what crowdsourced intelligence is and give a few examples of applications that use it? Sure. There have been lots of examples of uh, the wisdom of the crowds effect being right. used in the web. Um, in fact, most of the big successes you see on the internet today are thanks in part to the use of uh, humans who, whether they know it or not, are contributing their intelligence to the system. Mm-hmm. So if you look at a search engine like Google, mm-hmm. uh, Google, their big breakthrough was that they could figure out how to um, rank the uh, importance of pages based on how many people had made links pointing to those pages. Mm. So, in essence, every one of those people was um, giving a recommendation to the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so their intelligence was deciding which pages were more important. Mm-hmm. So every time you make a link, little do you know, you're actually doing human computation. Exactly. Okay. And then, um, so more recently, crowdsourced intelligence has been applied to artificial intelligence. And this is what you're interested in. So can you give an example of what's already out there and then what you're interested in doing? Sure. So the really big effort that's happened recently is something done by uh, this guy, Louis Von Ahn at Carnegie Mellon. Uh, He set up a game uh, called uh, the ESP game Mm -hmm. where uh, you're given a picture, uh, a standard computer image of uh, anything in the world. And you have to guess the same word that another player is thinking to describe that image. Mm -hmm. So a bunch of people all over the world are playing this game Mm -hmm. where they are looking at these pictures and giving words that describe the image. Uh, So what you end up with at the end of the day is this giant database of images that have been uh, matched to words by Mm -hmm. humans. So the big use of this system was to uh, generate a giant database of images that computers could uh, analyze to figure out what was inside Mm. because people have already done the work of 
telling computers what mm -hmm. are inside those images. Mm -hmm. And then when you do a Google image search. Right. So Google is using that technology now to accurately do things like image search. Mm. Okay. And then, and then you specifically, what are you interested right. in doing? Right. So we're interested in, in applying the same strategy to robotics. Mm. Uh, so this is something that has been a really, really thorny problem um, in artificial intelligence for a long time, is how to make good general robotic intelligence. Um, so we reasoned that because a lot of these problems are easy for humans to solve, uh, and because wireless internet is everywhere now, it mm. makes sense to have robots uh, be sending these problems to humans in the same way that uh, Google's image search sends this problem of uh, identifying images to humans. Okay. So let's talk about what you're actually going to build to experiment with crowdsourced intelligence for robots, or crowdsourced artificial intelligence. Is that what you would call it? Sure. That's, that's I guess, what we would call it. Okay. Um, and I know you're using a dinosaur named Pleo. So first, who is Pleo, and, and why are you using him or her? Sure. So, so Pleo, I guess she. we can say Pleo is, a, Pleo is an it. An it. Um, okay. It goes either way. Playo is this great robot that was just made by a company called Ugobi. They're based uh, right next door in Emeryville. Um, and it's basically a robotic pet. Uh, it, it looks just like a dinosaur. It's about the size of a puppy, maybe a, a small dog. And uh, he's, he's a really um, responsive and active kind of creature. So mm -hmm. you can move your hand along him and pet him, and he'll respond like he was a real animal. He'll make little sounds. You know, if you if you push him around, he gets upset. If you treat him nice, he plays with you. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's got a lot of uh, responsiveness and a lot of characteristics built in that really make him a lot of fun to be around. I've actually played a, with Playa before. Oh, okay. He's so really adorable. Or it. So he. You, I call it. We call him he too. Okay. But um, yeah, he's a, he's a lot of fun and people love him. Uh, so he's a great robot to work with for this reason. Um, he's got a very large community of people who are already very very interested in seeing him become smarter mm. and in working with him. Even people who are not scientists, right? Mm. There's a lot of people who just think right. he's a fun robot and would be interested in uh, contributing their intelligence in some way to uh, making this robot work better. So, and I know you're developing three models to try this out. Uh, and for the first one, you've chosen to use a game as your interface. So first, why, why a game? So a game is a, a nice way to get people to... Uh, there's a lot of reasons for using a game. Mm -hmm. The first one is that Play-O is a, um, it's a toy. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a toy robot, so people will associate the idea of uh, working with the Play-O very naturally with playing a game. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one is that using a game means that uh, people have an incentive to keep on working with this robot. So even if it's an activity that we might consider boring if it was our, our job to do it, you know, like going through and uh, um, labeling images. Mm -hmm. becomes a lot more fun if you turn it into a game. You yeah, give I want to win. Or prizes, right. Yeah. Um, so we can do something like this with the Playo and, and get many more people to participate who otherwise would not want to participate, and for a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. And we've had some experience with this in other projects in the automation lab, setting up games that uh, make people control robots, and yeah. it turns out people people have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, that. so what's the game? So the game, one of the games we've talked about, um, these are still in the early stages of development. One of the ideas we've talked about that's really exciting is the idea of having a, a play adventure. So uh, we take the physical robot, put him in a room, and uh, set up some puzzles and clues around the room. Uh, then players log into the robot, 
Um, so they can see the robot? Right. So the camera on the robot is being sent back to the players. The microphone inputs are being sent to the players' uh, speakers. Okay. Um, so many people on the internet are doing this at once. Okay. Uh, they work together somehow, so uh-huh. their, their decisions are, are voted on or averaged in some way. Oh, okay. And uh, their decisions uh, guide the play out to different clues in the room. The players eventually will figure out all the puzzles and solve some mystery. Okay. Uh, or figure out some challenge, something like that. Okay. And so you have a specific goal in mind that you want the playo to do. Right. Okay. So eventually we'll want them to figure out how to make the playo, you know, climb or avoid maybe three obstacles in the room. Okay. And to determine they have to do that, they'd have to see certain things in the area. So it's like a massively multiplayer online robot playing game. Exactly. <laughs> And then for the second model that you're going to be experimenting with, you're using something called MTurk. Right. So can you explain what MTurk is and how you're going to be using it? So MTurk is a, a service that was launched by Amazon a few years ago. Uh, Amazon.com put out this service uh, actually for the explicit purpose of faking artificial intelligence. They huh. call it artificial artificial intelligence. Uh-huh. So if you have some job you want done, uh, say like you know having a robot decide whether to walk left or right or you know, identifying a, a missing a missing person in a crowd of people. Uh, rather than writing a computer program to do this, which is really hard, you might just write a program that sends it to MTurk, and then MTurk <laughs> will pass it off to, mm. you know, 10,000 people all over the world whose job it is to look at these pictures or do whatever you ask them to do for, you know, a couple of cents per picture. So you can get very high-quality results, solve problems that might be very difficult for a computer um, using a system like this as long as you're willing to pay for it. Uh-huh. So what we're going to do is, is uh, rather than having a game, another model we've talked about is actually paying people to do this on MTurk. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might get a different kind of person who's, who's willing to do this, and you might find people um, are maybe a little more accurate because mm-hmm. they're being paid and they know their work is being checked. Mm-hmm. Um, the drawback is that you have to wait for... Uh, someone to actually volunteer to do this job for money. Right, so uh, it's not in real time. It might not be in real time. Uh-huh. Um, but the money that would go into developing some super sophisticated robot just goes into paying people right. to do the work. But we think it'll be a lot cheaper this way. Cheaper for you, but who's getting the raw end of that deal? So for an econ- for, so for, there's an yeah. economic question as well, yeah. right? MTurk, the people who are, who are being paid on MTurk, um, you know, they're not necessarily living in, in the first world. Yeah. They're not necessarily people who would normally have access to that job uh, in the first place. Is anyone making their entire living on MTurk? Uh, not right now. Um, I'm I take sure that, someone I take would experiment that with that. People have experiment, experimented oh, yeah? with this. And people, and have built, um, people have built systems, that businesses around MTurk. Oh. Things like, like audio transcription of podcasts. So if someone wanted to write down you know, the discuss, the transcript of this radio show right and whoever wants to do that i encourage you to make your living from the graduates okay so what's your third model so uh the third idea we're talking about is uh something where people will actually will have actually um almost a remote control system for the playo Uh so in the same way as our first game people will see what the playo sees and they'll they'll uh hear what he hears but what they'll do instead is explicitly send commands to his to his legs, his legs and arms. So uh-huh. they'll literally be remote controlling every part of his body at the same uh-huh. time. Um, so this is a, 
a really fine level of control. Right. Okay, so this is for a very different kind of task than the first model. Right. This might even be for something as simple as trying to make Pleo uh, learn how to walk. Mm, so you'd even be able to combine this with the first model. You know, how does it walk and then what does it do? Right. And similar to the game model, is it that what people do is somehow averaged together or do some people have more control than others? So this is a research question, right? What the, what the appropriate way to achieve collaborative control over right. a, a single robot is. What we're going to find, I think, what we're going to find is that some people tend to be better at this than others, right. and some people are more trustworthy. So it'll be like a weighted democracy? Exactly. Where people are so weighted. some people will get, okay. will get more votes than others, depending uh-huh. on how good they're doing in the past. Okay. And um, can, the, can the intelligent people in your crowd communicate with each other? Um, yes and no. So we've tried this before in the past on, a, another, cam- on, on another game we had set up uh, with a different camera. And we found that people communicating with each other didn't actually help anything. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Huh. People actually, they talked to each other and, you know, people ended up doing their own thing anyway. You don't want guilds? We don't want, um, uh, I mean, that you, that you might find find that different competing factions evolve because people can always find each other uh-huh. uh, if, if we don't let them chat with That's each other. That's true. So for those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to The Graduates on CalEx. I'm talking today with Anand Kulkarni about crowdsourced intelligence. So there are a lot of really interesting implications of this, but before we get there, I understand you're using patterns that emerge in what Playo does to build a database of intelligent behavior. So is this database intended to be a standalone source of artificial intelligence? I mean, in the case of of Playo, would he be, you know, weaned off crowdsourced intelligence, or would he always need to be steered by crowds of people, or would he toggle back and forth depending on whether so there's Wi-Fi? So this is my this is my yeah. big this is my big hope is that okay. we're going to get enough data by having people play this game that oh. eventually Playo will not need the assistance of humans anymore. Uh-huh. He can just use his stored database of of things he's learned. Okay. But there's always going to be scenarios where he yeah. encounters some unexpected circumstance. Right. So what we're thinking is that at those times, Playo can ask for help on the fly. Right. So 95% of the time, he'll be using things that he's already learned. If he finds something he doesn't know, he can just ask somebody. Okay. So sounds like an evolutionary process, but at least when he wanders outside the range of of, uh, of Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi he'll, he should... he'll have a few things in his, under his belt. Right. So crowdsourced intelligence introduces some pretty outrageous possibilities. So why don't you talk a little bit about what kinds of applications you can imagine and blue skies. I mean, sky's the limit. Okay. I think the the first thing you're going to start to see is that uh, we can solve problems in, we can put robots in places where uh, they haven't been able to go before. So today, a lot of the places that we've been able to put robots really effectively are controlled environments like factories uh, but you don't see robots in the in the real world so much because there are so many variables that mm. you have to account for. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you figure out even the problem of walking through a crowd is really mm-hmm. difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, so using crowdsourced intelligence means that we can start to place robots uh, in the real world, you know, interacting with humans in places that we wouldn't expect to see them in the past. Uh, but, you know, going broader than that, um, I think crowdsourced intelligence as a technique lets us... Uh, do a lot of things that we could not do with AI before because crowdsourced intelligence isn't really 
at the end of the day, uh, about AI, it's about using human intelligence. Yeah. So, you know, our hypothesis, at least my hypothesis, is that you can use uh, human computation and uh, crowdsourced intelligence to basically uh, solve any of the problems human, humans can solve. Right. It's like, how much do we know that we not, don't even realize we know because no one actually knows it? Right. But it's just latent in the crowd, waiting to precipitate. Exactly. So, yeah, I think um, eventually you're going to start to see systems that um, can do things like hold conversations with humans, um, you know, in real time, mm-hmm. uh, based on crowdsourced intelligence. Okay. One major implication of this, and I assume you get this a lot, so the fact that we can control robots by playing games or doing any of these things creates this possibility of the you know, the sci-fi scenario where we think we're just playing a game but we're actually <laughs> you know controlling robots or we don't even know we don't even know what they're doing or we don't even sure. know that they even exist uh so yeah maybe play was an unmanned tank or we're you know doing labor for someone else is kind of covert crowdsourced right. sweat labor virtual sweatshop thing uh so do you think that crowdsourced intelligence will will have to come up with its own code of ethics or some kind of legal standards are you are you guys talking about I that? think it would be great actually if the if the field matured to the point where we had to worry about problems uh. like that but I think I think because we're in uh, this idea is in its infancy right now um, you're not seeing that it's being applied in in uh, diverse situations uh, that might raise ethical issues right now a lot of the situations that use crowdsourcing people there's informed consent. People, people know, know what the robot, when they're playing the ESP game. People know when they're playing the ESP game yeah. what it's being used for. Yeah. People know when they're playing uh, with our with our cone game in the lab what the what it's being used for. Um, people will know when they play with Playo that this is being used to control a Playo robot. Uh-huh. Um, there are other cases where people's data just happens to be out there, uh, and crowdsourcing from that data isn't so uh, ethically. Uh, troubling. For example, when you make a link to a site, mm-hmm. the fact that Google reads that as an implicit vote for that site mm-hmm. isn't really a, a disturbing, uh, mm-hmm. disturbing thing to know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when we get to the point where you are seeing systems like this used in places that might be concerning, mm-hmm. you would want to have safeguards in place so people know that uh, what their what their intelligence is being used for is something yeah. they're uh, in agreement with. Yeah. So another implication of this is, or at least a theoretical implication, is how you understand the translation between what people are doing and what is being done with what they do. You describe this as you're trying to translate one kind of intelligence, the intelligence used to play a game, into mm-hmm. another kind of intelligence, the intelligence used, in your case, to steer a robot. So how are you, how are you understanding this translation? So right now it's done on a really superficial level uh, in the sense that when a person makes a decision for the robot, uh, this corresponds exactly to some move in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, your only choices at any stage are to move the player left, move the player right, move the head up, move the head down, mm-hmm. take a picture, things like that. Mm-hmm. So there's a really easy correspondence mm-hmm. between the kind of intelligence that you're applying and the kind of intelligence that Playo is learning. Okay. Um, 
But for more sophisticated games, you might have to have something that's a little more tricky. So suppose instead of uh, playing with Playo directly and seeing that you're moving him around like a remote control car, maybe you're moving around some uh, character in a virtual world, mm-hmm. uh, and that's somehow being mapped into the motions of the Playo. Mm-hmm. Even that's a pretty straightforward uh, translation. You're still moving one kind of, uh, translating one kind of motion into another kind of motion, mm-hmm. but. Um, one of our questions is, what kind of translations can you carry out? Right. If I ask you to do one kind of activity, is there a limit on what other kind of activity I can use that to teach a, a robot to do? Right. I mean, you're, and you're characterizing it as more straightforward or less straightforward, but you know, what what else is in there? It, that's probably not the only axis. So there's probably other. Um, I'm, there's. There are other kinds of questions we can ask about about something like this. Uh, in terms of another axis of, of uh, comparing these tasks, I think the complexity of the, the, the activity we're asking them to do is mm-hmm. another issue. Mm-hmm. Um, if we ask somebody to, care, to make some very high-level decision, like, um, you know, what should, what should Playo try and do to help his owner? Yeah. Um, you know, get through his morning. Right. Breaking a, a task like that up into something that a human can answer mm-hmm. in the course of a game is, uh, it's not just not straightforward, right. it's qualitatively different. Right, right, right. Okay, so we will be right back. On next week's show, I'll be talking to Kelly Rafferty from the Department of Theater, Dance, and Performance Studies about bodies in new media performances. So please join me for The Graduates every Monday from 12 to 12.30 on Calix. And please visit our Facebook page. Search for The Graduates, K-A-L-X in quotes, on Facebook.com. You can become a fan. You can write on the wall. You can check the guests of future shows or suggest yourself as a guest. So don't be shy. That's The Graduates, K-A-L-X, on Facebook. Welcome back. Today I'm talking to Anand Kulkarni about crowdsourced intelligence. Do you have any thoughts about the circumstances under which crowdsourced intelligence would be most effective versus other kinds of artificial sure. intelligence? Or So I thought yeah. about this a little. Uh, the, the real motivations for doing something like this, and there's a few of them. Um, so one is that... Um, there are situations where, for the foreseeable future, we're not going to be able to develop uh, real, really effective artificial standalone autonomous intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, things like uh, chatbots mm-hmm. uh, and communication. Um, but the other aspect of it is that um, in a lot of situations, there are, there are places where uh, we expect that the contribution of a human and the contribution of the program can do better than just either one of those systems mm-hmm. separately. So... Um, for example, in motion planning. Um, humans can plan motion pretty well on our own. Uh, computer programs exist that can plan motion. What do you mean, plan motion? Uh, so if you're, walking, if you're walking down the street, how do you avoid oh. getting hit by a car that's about to come and, okay. and uh, run you over? Um, yeah, I'm glad that I'm pretty good at that. We can, we can plan that pretty well. Uh, robots can do an okay job of that, of that too. Uh, but, you know, we make mistakes sometimes, and robots make a lot of mistakes. So... Combining the two approaches, uh, taking some of the information from uh, our, our decision and taking some of the information from an autonomous program that's checking what we're doing, could lead to something better than what either one of us could do by ourselves. Mm-hmm. 
but what but what kinds of what does that correlate with what are the th- what are those kinds of things that we're both really good at doing together so navigation i think is one big one okay uh i think communication is the other big one okay uh and those are the two that we're actually trying to focus on okay uh, at least in our work navigation and communication communication playo so this is this is something else that i haven't uh i haven't talked about too much yet but uh, we're looking at implementing a system where Playo can learn to talk. Oh. Um, so if you say something to Playo, he's going to send that little um, recording back to somebody on the Internet who will figure out what, what was said, determine an appropriate response, and then send uh, a little message back to Playo. Oh, wow. And then a speech synthesizer on Playo will say the right answer back. Huh. So the result of this is you'll be able to hold a conversation. Right. What looks like a conversation with a robot. All right. And now, what are things that computers are better at than we are? Uh, for example, things like, um, maybe Play is not a good example of this, but for a robot that's moving very quickly, like a, ro- like a robot car, um, you don't necessarily want to have a person making sure that the robot is not driving over uh, somebody's foot. Uh, because if you had to wait for a few minutes for that decision to be made, it'd already be a moot point. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to have to have robot, robotic uh, cognitive models in place no matter what you do because um, just for the, the reason of efficiency and speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the intention is to elaborate a model for when to use which kind of intelligence. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is a, still a question that's... that's uh, fairly open, right? Uh-huh. What kind of areas are the right, right areas to apply mm-hmm. uh, human intelligence through crowdsourcing right. and which ones are best suited for autonomous robots? Mm-hmm. And we haven't had this, because we haven't had the opportunity to answer this question um, until we had really easy access to wireless internet, mm-hmm. uh, nobody's gotten around to, as- to asking it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have hypotheses? Um I do. I feel like, and this is just my, I have my own biases here because I work in this field. I think that using human computation and human intelligence is almost always going to give you uh, an advantage over a standalone system Mm -hmm. in most fields that I can consider, except in cases where you have to do very, very uh, rapid and um, low-level fine motor control type tasks. Uh So for something like walking... I don't think humans are going to be able to help you with that. Uh-huh. Uh, that's something that a mechanical system is going to have to figure out on its own. Uh-huh. For something like uh, anything involving higher level functions, the things that we make that, that make a system seem alive, rather than things that just make a system do something, uh, those are the things that you're really going to want humans for. Uh-huh. Yeah, and play already comes with standalone automation, so what you build will already be a combination of standalone automation and crowdsourced intelligence. But so where do you see crowdsourced intelligence headed? Do you envision people, you know, Playo and friends where it's people controlling a whole bunch of networked robots so I, together? So I think this is going to have, uh, at least with the Playo, I think we're going to have a lot of, uh, this is going to give you a new way to play with Playo mm-hmm. in the short term, right? A lot of people will have, we're, we're going to make our uh, system publicly available so people can set this up on their own Playos if they want to. Mm. People can crowdsource, um, provide crowdsource intelligence to their own systems. And will data come back to you? Yeah, data will come back to us mm-hmm. if they want to share it. Uh-huh. Um and of course, this is something that you can then upload to other robots to make them smarter as well. Right. So, so you're going to th- crowdsource the crowdsource intelligence. 
in, in yeah. effect, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we want to send this out. This is something that I think that can can be done in other kinds of robots as well, not just playos. Um, so in the future, I, I do think this is the sort of thing you're going to be seeing used much more often, um, mm-hmm. especially because uh, we have hit a lot of, of stumbling blocks in traditional AI. Um, I think the use of humans is is a really... Because it's such an easy way to get around these problems, you're going to start use, seeing it used in more and more places where people used to use uh, AI. Mm-hmm. And what co- what comes after crowdsource intelligence? Uh, in terms of replacing this, well, mm, or what's going to be the next big thing? Well, eventually we want to have uh, real AI, right? Something that we don't need crowdsource intelligence for. Mm. Um, but of course, we have no idea how to do that today. Mm, and that um, would partly, maybe, partly use the databases that are generated by crowdsourced. So there's a there's a third application for crowdsourced intelligence. Is even if you don't use it for anything useful in the in the real world today, which we you know it's basically all we've talked about just now. Even if you didn't do that, um, generating this giant database of uh, information as to how people are making these decisions mm. could really inform how yeah. you develop um, completely autonomous intelligences. Uh-huh. Of course, that's way, way down the line. And I inform a lot of things. I mean, teach us about ourselves and how we behave. Exactly. Yeah. It might help us understand how the how intelligence actually works. Yeah. Okay, so finally, what we really want to know is, when can we play with Playo? Assuming you're not doing some kind of covert crowdsourcing and you're accurately representing what Playo is doing. Well, great. We, we are. We okay. are, as you'll find out. Um, we're hoping to have this system up and running uh, by the end of the year. Okay. Um, this is the... Uh, we've just just started working with Playo this year, mm-hmm. uh, and we're going to have this website up and running um, and the interaction system hopefully ready by uh, sometime in the winter. Okay, well, thank you, Anand. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, thank you, Stephanie. And if you'd like to keep up with Anand and play with Playo from wherever you are in the world and even make some money off of it, you can visit the website of the Automation Lab at automation.berkeley.edu. You've been listening to The Graduates on KALX Berkeley. My name is Stephanie Gerson. Visit us on Facebook. Find us on iTunes University and join me next Monday from 12 to 12.30. Thank you.